You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Faces, some faces I do know, some faces I don't know. Nice high marquee up the back there, gave me a wave. Um, probably shouldn't have called you Marky, but that's what you were when you were young, so that's there you go. Um, <laughs> um, so it's great to be with you here today. As Steve said, I'm uh, an associate pastor at Southport to Christ, and we're going through this transformation trek, which is looking at the disciplines that God has given us. And I, I came across this wonderful quote, actually, uh, as I'm taking a discipleship group through um, some of the disciplines, and it says, we do these practices to do what is within our power, to allow God to do what is only within his power to do so doing these disciplines doesn't make us more holy doesn't make doesn't doesn't change us the discipline itself but it gives us a opportunity to surrender and let God do what he can only do in our lives but let's dive into this and I thought I'd start with a little clip I've got a job in Ripon I said I'll start tomorrow a job you do know I mean to involve you in the running of the estate don't worry there are plenty of hours in the day. And, of course, I'll have the weekend. What, what is a weekend? So, oh, hopefully did. some of you would actually know that. Um, that was the, from the original Downton Abbey series. And there's Dame uh, Maggie Smith, who plays the Countess, who shows just how out of touch she is with the common man, that she goes, what's a weekend? Um, but, to be honest... If someone were to look at our lives, look at our seven days and how we spend them, I think sometimes we would have people go, what's a weekend in their lives? Doesn't, each day doesn't look different to the other days. Um, and I think most of us would say that to take an, a 24-hour period of Sabbath rest is actually maybe not something that we're doing as a practice in our lives. Let me tell you about my family of origin. Uh, this is us when I was a lot younger. Um, and I had a wonderful family. My mother and father loved the Lord. They uh, were faithful in following him. They seek, sought to put him first in our family, first in their lives. Uh, they read the Bible. They were faithful supporters of the church. They engaged in the life of the church. They reached out to others. Uh, they tithed faithfully. They gave of themselves generously. And they modeled to me what it looked like to be a disciple of Jesus in so many ways. But in one area, while I was growing up, quite frankly, they sucked. <laughs> I checked with my mother and she said, yep, you can say that. It's absolutely true. <laughs> they had no idea how to do Sabbath rest. None. So Sunday would come around. They, they'd work tirelessly through the week. They'd take care of us. They'd take, do work or they'd care for other people, um, making meals, taking people out for a coffee to have a chat. And on a Sunday, they would do church. Then they'd crash for a couple of hours of sleep. Then they'd get up and do the chores that hadn't been able to be done during the week, you know, the mowing or the cleaning of the pool or those kind of things. And then we'd get ready and start the week all over again. <laughs> and it wasn't until adulthood that I started to look at other people's lives and go, I don't, I don't think I really know how to rest <laughs> very well. And I definitely didn't think that I knew what rest look like as the Bible talks about it. You know, the Bible talks about us entering into God's rest. It talks about this rest that is restorative to our souls. Um, so I would try and rest. I would, um, I would try and like, 
either veg out all day just watching hired movies because we didn't have Netflix back then um, or I'd have like a three-hour a three hour nap in the middle of the day and all of this, it felt like, like a sip of water when I needed like a bucket of water in terms of rest. And I'd try doing holidays, right? So I'd try, okay, all sorts of variations of holidays to maybe that will help me to feel that rest that people talk about. So I'll try doing a vacation away. I'll try doing a staycation. I'll try doing a vacation with friends. I'll try doing it without friends. I'll try doing it with, like, stress-free, nothing planned. And then I'll try doing it, like, full of adventure. And again, a little sip, but I needed so much more. And so very quickly... I'd be feeling like I needed rest again. And I really couldn't figure out how to live any different way. But God is gracious and God is the author of our faith, as he says, and so he helped me learn it. He helped me learn it by letting me spiral down (laughs) in my uh, life of work, busyness, anxiety, toil, striving, all those things, uh, until it came to a screeching halt in clinical depression, and I finally had to learn some new ways of living. And I thank God for it, though, although it was horrible at the time, I thank God because it was I needed that bigger wake-up call in my life, that this was an area that needed attention. And unfortunately for many of us, we don't, it takes until a giant wake-up call before we actually start to recognise rest is actually something we need to pay attention to. How about for you? Have you struggled to understand rest? Have you struggled to enter into rest? If someone were to look at your life, would they go, oh, look, they've got a lot on their plate, but I can see that they are living out of the rest of God. They are, they are living out of his power, out of his enabling. Uh, they're not striving. They're not toiling. Or would people sometimes characterize your life like a headless chicken running around? Like a headless chicken running around. <laughs> Because that's sometimes how our lives can look. Or do you feel like you go into the week going, I'm ready for all that God has before me and I'm excited for how he's going to use me in this week? Or do you feel like you are trudging through the week? Just let me get through another day. When I finally started to understand Sabbath rest, how God understands it, and let me just say, I don't, I'm not perfect at this, uh, but I recognise that the more I practice it, the more it transforms my life. When we understand rest in this way, it can transform our lives. So today we're going to unpack what Sabbath rest looks like, and I'm hoping that you don't just see it as something as, oh, that's a good thought, but you see it more as something to wrap your arms around, to embrace into your life, and to see how God can transform your life as you enter into his Sabbath rest. But before we do that, let's just pray and and give this time to God. So, Lord, we just offer this up to you. Lord, we ask um, and come before you with our our lives open, our hearts open, and we ask that you would speak to us, that you would highlight areas for us personally. Father, I just pray that if there's any of my words, my understanding, my wisdom that have just been attached to this, let that just fall away from our minds and let what we take away today be your truth, what you want to speak to us, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think for a lot of us, like rest, it's this afterthought. It's, it's the thing that even if I'm pursuing living a Christian life, even if I'm pursuing the disciplines, I've got to start doing the, all right, I'm reading the Bible. Okay, I've also got to do the um, 
what is it, the other one? There was the wielding the word, there was the identity stuff. We've got to do all these other things. And then when I get to it, when I've got time for it, I'll take a rest. I'll work on rest. For many of us, I don't know about you, but we've been raised on that Protestant work ethic idea of, you know, it is holier to be busier. <laughs> we actually almost elevate. If someone's really busy, we go, oh, well, they must be really important. They, they clearly, clearly are important and doing well. We elevate busyness as a thing that is important. And to be seemingly not working enough, to be idle is a shameful thing in our culture. Would you agree? Yeah. And so that idea of rest always feels like I've got to always justify every bit of time that I'm spending and how can I do this? And it's actually, to be honest, it's really hard to be lazy in our culture. We've got so many balls that we are juggling uh, between work, family, uh, extended family, friends, work friends, friends we haven't seen in a really long time that we've got to like do a catch up with, house maintenance, groceries, appointments, and it's now tax time again, so start getting that all happening again, and we just keep cycling through year after year all the busyness that happens. So when we say, I'll have a rest when I get time for it, that never happens. <laughs> the thing is, though, the reason why we're talking about this is not just because we're trying to say, everyone just needs to have a rest. We're talking about it because this is not an afterthought to God. This is actually a very high priority to God. Uh, God lists the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and this is the fourth commandment. You know when you're writing a grocery list? Usually you're thinking of the most important things first, right? So this is the fourth commandment. It comes before honour your father and mother. It comes before don't murder. It comes before don't commit adultery. Some pretty big ones. So clearly it's important to God. And this is what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter or your male or your female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, in the Jewish tradition, the Sabbath was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And that word Sabbath just means a day of rest. Um, but this was clearly an important thing to God because throughout then the history of the Israelite nation, um, the, throughout the Old Testament, you see God often referring back to the fact that the Israelites have not honoured his Sabbath and that's one of his charges against them. So in Ezekiel, because they rejected my ordinances, they even profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart continually went after their idols. Nehemiah, um, what is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? God is constantly saying, this is an important thing. This is a central thing. I need you to take note, Israel. So if God takes it this seriously, we should take it this seriously too. So does that mean right now we all need to, like, anyone who's working needs to stop work. Um, you better not be doing any mowing, planning any mowing today or any other work today or any of your male and your female servants planning any work today. I hope, I hope not. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, is this what it means to honour the Sabbath in our lives? Well, not necessarily. 
Because then when Jesus came, he showed that there was freedom in how we engage the Sabbath. That it was important, but that we can engage it with freedom. Because at the time Jesus came, it was so strictly observed. There were actually 39 ordinances at the time Jesus uh, was on earth. And there were rules about, I kid you not, this is just some of the rules were about sowing, plowing, reaping, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, making two cords, weaving two threads, two stitches, tearing to sew two stitches, catching a deer, killing it, skinning it, salting it, writing two letters, building, extinguishing and lighting a fire and many, many more. So there was so many rules around this that this was a constrictive thing. The Sabbath was not a place of freedom and joy. It was constrictive. And even we see this interaction uh, as Jesus' disciples on one Sabbath uh, are walking through a field and the Pharisees point out that they, they're plucking some of the grains of corn off, uh, the, of the, the wheat um, off and, and they, they say, this is wrong. You should be doing something about this. And Jesus says this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, who's Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then even another time um, on a Sabbath, they're, they're at the synagogue and a woman comes in who's been crippled for 18 years and Jesus heals her and the synagogue leader argues, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And Jesus answers him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water, i.e. you take care of your animals on the Sabbath? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? See, what Jesus was doing was bringing people back to the heart of the Sabbath. It was not about the rules. It was not about the restrictions. It was about recognizing that this was a good day, a day for God to show his healing power, a day for God to be glorified, a day to set our hearts upon him. In Colossians, Paul sums it up at the freedom that we have in Christ, where it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to the fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are the sh- a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So as we talk about Sabbath rest, as we engage this, as your mind maybe triggers with all the different thoughts you've got around Sabbath, let's enter it understanding it's an important priority to God. It's of great value to God, but it's not something that we need to be bound in or or feeling restricted in. It has freedom in it. So then, how can we view Sabbath rest? What can we view it as? Well, number one, I think we can view it as something that's good for us. We see God's example. On six days, he works, and on the seventh day, he rested. He modeled Sabbath rest for us. Did God need to rest? Was he tired? No, (laughs) he didn't need the rest. He's almighty God, but he modelled for us a good rhythm of life that is for our well-being. And there are numerous secular studies where they're not trying to prove Sabbath is a good thing, but they're just trying to say, hey, actually having a rhythm of work and rest is good for you. (laughs) It's good for your brain. The second thing I think we can see it is, is that we are, it is a sign that we are his. That as we keep it holy, which means set apart, we identify ourselves as a set apart people. 
In Ezekiel, it says this, I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between us. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And Peter Scazzaro says this great quote, by the very act of refusing to succumb to the enormous pressure of Western culture around us, we too serve as a sign of a free people. We have been called out of a world trying to prove its worth by what it does and what it possesses. We are deeply loved by God for who we are, not for what we do. I think the third thing that can help us to view Sabbath in the right, right way is that it helps us stay in a right perspective. You see, as we go about our day, as we go about our week, we can start to think that uh, our provision, our protection, our family's provision and protection, it all depends on us. If I watch enough TV, I'm going to be convinced that if I just have enough, the right insurances, I'm protected, I'm fine. If I can just earn enough that I can have enough for all that we need provisionally, we are fine. I can start to see that I'm the one that takes care of this. But in Sabbath, when we let go of these things, when we, we, we put them aside, when we don't keep trying to pursue our protection or our provision, we return to the right perspective that he is God, that he is the Lord our God, that he is our protection and provision, and we are to live in dependence upon him. Peter Scazzaro says this, without the Sabbath, we easily find ourselves lost and unsure of the larger picture of God and our lives. I am convinced that nothing less than an understanding of Sabbath as a command from God, as well as an incredible invitation, will enable us to grab hold of the lifeline God offers us. So, I'm hoping you've come along with me and we've established this is not just a good theological concept. This is actually a practice that it is worthwhile for us to wrap our arms around. But what does it look like? What does it look like in our day and age with all the different stresses and things we've got um, that upon us. Uh, as one person actually at Southwatt said, she said, I'm a casual worker. My, my shifts change throughout the week. What does it look like to take a Sabbath as a casual worker? Well, I think there's a few things that can help us to um, reframe how we see rest, to change our mindset around it. Because rest is not just doing nothing. Nor is rest making leisure an idol in our lives. To enter Sabbath rest is to put our trust more firmly in God. We enter into deeper rest when we trust more deeply. That's the relationship there. John Mark Comer says this, Sabbath is an expression of faith. Faith that there is a creator and he's good that we are his creation, that this is his world, that we live under his roof, that we drink his water, that we eat his food, that we breathe his oxygen. So on the Sabbath, we don't just take a day off from work, we take a day off from toil. We give him all our fear and anxiety and stress and worry. We let go. We stop ruling and subduing and we just be. We remember our place in the universe so that we never forget there is a God and I'm not him. So when we engage this, the question you need to ask yourself is, where are the places in my life where I am not trusting God? 
Where are the places in my life where I am not living in dependence upon his provision, his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness? And what would it look like to take one day a week where I let go of the things I do within my power, within my strength to fill up these areas and instead trusted him? For example, if you struggle to trust God with your business, maybe you run your own business, or maybe just you've got a lot of work and a lot of pressure upon you, what would it look like to stop engaging with your business for 24 hours? Not opening your work email, turning off your work phone, planning all your work to be done on the other six days and not leave a little bit to be done on the Sabbath day. Every time I'm preaching on a Sunday, I am always tempted uh, to use my Sabbath for work. So I take a Sabbath from uh, Friday night to Saturday night generally because that's a time my husband and I can carve out together to just really have this time together because obviously Sunday is a work day. And there's always that temptation I could just tweak the sermon a little bit. I could just do a little bit more work on it. And I have to be very disciplined to actually get all of it done by Friday. (laughs) And whatever I've got it to by Friday, that's where it's at. (laughs) It's a hard thing, and sometimes I don't always do it well, but it's an important thing. If your struggle is trusting God with your finances, on a day of rest, don't keep pouring over your bank statements and trying to figure it out and make it work if you can afford that new toy for for your kids or something like that. Let it be and just live in trust of God that he will have what you need when you need it. Put aside anything where you are trying to, by your own efforts, make something happen. If your struggle is always depending upon yourself to take care of everyone else, parents, I'm especially looking at you, have a day where you're not trying to get on top of the laundry or ironing, where you put a frozen meal in the oven and you don't try and conquer a jobs list. If your struggle is trusting God in the midst of world chaos and external change, spend the Sabbath not reading the news or looking at Facebook posts of others. Withdraw from spending mental and emotional energy and anxiety upon these things. If your struggle is trusting God to take care of others or solve relationship needs, if you're the one that always gets pulled into someone else's drama, have a period where your phone is off and you're not available to your grown children or your parents or your clients or the people who are trying to call you to ask you to step into their issues. God cares for them and has more provision for them than you will ever have. I actually, there was a lady at church who told me, um, she's retired, so obviously she doesn't have a lot on her week, but she said, there's just one day a week where I realised I need to take my watch off. I need to not keep looking at my watch and thinking about everything I'm doing as a measure of time. And you might say to me, oh, there's just too much on in my week. There's just no possible way I can stop from some things for 24 hours. But I'm going to actually push back a bit, if that's the thought that's happening in your mind, and say these are often excuses because to stop might seem too scary. Busyness can become our default, our place of identity, our place of comfort. Dan Allender says this, speed is the ultimate defence, the antidote to stopping and really looking. Because if we really saw what we were doing and who we had become, we feel we might not survive the stopping and the accompanying self-appraisal. So we don't stop. And the faster we go, the harder it becomes to stop. 
In order to engage Sabbath rest, we have to stop. We have to let go of control and instead recognise that we are held by God and rest in him, the one who is actually in control. It's not easy, but it's so necessary. When I first started practising Sabbath, um, I was overseas actually. I was a missionary overseas. I was investing my life into this ministry and business that was providing for women coming out of trafficking uh, and exploitation. Um, so every dollar that was earned was enabling another woman to come out. I, I felt the incredible pressure of that work to, to do it well and to do it with all of my might because these women needed me. And it got to the point where I realised I needed to actually take Sabbath seriously. And so I recognised I needed to make myself not as available. Because I would check my work emails always. Because what if an opportunity came along that, that might help the business? Um, and um, what if an emergency happened and I was needed? And I recognised that these were areas where I was not trusting in God's provision for this ministry and for the women that we were, we were there to serve. And so... I had to pry my fingers away and I said, I'm not going to check my work email um, from Friday night to Saturday night. And that sounds so simple. <laughs> and it was so hard. And there were times I messed up. Not, well, not messed up. There were times I went, I'll just have a quick look. It'll be fine. I'll just have a quick look. And you know what happened? Immediately, peace left me. Because immediately I had taken back control. I had taken back control that I needed to be the one to take care of things. Now we're trying not to be legalistic in this, but sometimes it is good to have good and clear boundaries about what tasks you need to stop <laughs> in order to let go of control. So that you can be reminding yourself that God is in control of all that you are doing. So as we stop with our tasks and our responsibilities, we step away from operating at our busy paces and embrace a more restful pace of life, one that's not driven to strive or to get things done, but being content with the day, just being lived with him, through him and by him. John Ortberg says this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy our souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. Again and again, as we pursue spiritual life, we must do battle with hurry. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. One of the great delusions of our day is that hurry will buy us more time. As we stop one day a week, as we seek to go slower, we can seek to become more deliberate in our actions. And that's going to translate to the rest of the other days of your week. Because you can be more deliberate about what you're doing. You're not hurrying. You're not rushing. You can be more attentive to what is happening around you, what God might be doing and how you can be partnering with him. But what should we be doing then on that day? Like what does it look like? If we're stopping all these other things, you might be going then what do I do? For the longest time, I didn't want to do Sabbath rest because I thought that what I probably had to do was just pray all day. And I kind of thought that would be really boring. And that didn't appeal to me at all. <laughs> because it's a spiritual thing, right? So we have to do spiritual stuff on this day. Well, what is spiritual? 
Is it only things we do in the church? Or is it something far more considering that our spiritual father created all things for his glory? In Genesis 1.31, we see God spent six days creating and then he stops and rests. And what does he do? He looks at all that he had made and it was very good. He delighted. He enjoyed. He enjoyed the goodness of his creation. As we embrace Sabbath rest, what we're invited to experience is a day of delight. Understanding that Sabbath rest could be that transformed my thinking because then instead of spending the day thinking, okay, what's spiritual to do, it meant that I could think, what does it look like to delight in all that God has made? What does it look like to delight in him? So this might mean going for a walk, a bushwalk, or going for a walk along the beach and just enjoying nature around you. It might be delighting in the senses that he gave you and the delicious food that he created by having a really delicious meal or a great cup of coffee. It might mean delighting in the community that he's placed you in by, by having a feast with friends. Now, when I say feast, I don't mean it has to be an amazing spread. I just mean that it's that kind of meal where you can sit down and no one is trying to rush off anywhere. It might mean that you delight in the talent that he has put into different people by watching a life-affirming movie or, or listening to a beautiful piece of music. It might mean delighting in your kids uh, and your spouse and maybe doing an activity that they delight in, but as you see their delight, it gives delight to you. It might mean if you are, uh, uh, your love language is gift giving, you might love walking around the shops trying to find that perfect present for someone that you know is just going to delight in it and it's going to give you delight. For some of you, you're not that way, so don't go to the shops on the Sabbath day because it will not give you delight. <laughs> it might mean sitting with your Bible and just having uninterrupted time of being in God's word. It might mean lying in a hammock and having a nap. Dan Allender says, the only parameter that is to guide our Sabbath is delight. Will this be merely a break or a joy? Will this lead my heart to wonder or just be routine? Will I be more grateful after living it or just happy that I got something done? How do you know what will give you delight? It's hard, right, to think, what's going to give me delight? Oh, it's a lot of pressure. Well, the Bible gives us a, a good starting point with Philippians. Whatever, firstly, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Spend your time on these things. John Mark Comer says this, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for the apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and all that is good, beautiful and true in his world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the non-stop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation or cultural drivel. We become what we give our attention to, for better or for worse. 
understanding what will make your Sabbath day a day of delight is a wonderful journey you can go on with Jesus. It's not something you have to figure out right now. It can be something where you just start small with something you know you like and then invite Jesus into the process to show you how he has wired you, what he has wired you to delight in, what he has created around you that is delight-worthy. And in turn, your relationship with him can deepen, which in itself is a place of delight. And as I stop and as I rest and as I choose delight in my Sabbath, do you know what happens? My heart turns to worship. When I'm seeing a beautiful uh, creation, I cannot help but say, thank you, God, for what you have created here. And I say worship here instead of prayer because our focus is upon God and not ourselves in Sabbath. Dan Allender says, it's not wrong to petition God on the Sabbath, but the heart of the Sabbath is to delight in all he has given us rather than to ask for what has not yet been fulfilled. Prayer on the Sabbath might well fit into the categories of praise or invitation. And when I talk about worship, I don't mean that it just has to involve singing songs or, or singing praise. It can involve that, but worship involves living our lives to honour his worthiness. It involves thankfulness overflowing in our lives. It involves expectantly looking for how God might use us in the day. So as I talk about the Sabbath, I hope that your mind is opening to the incredible and wondrous and varied possibilities that Sabbath is. If your mind has felt like Sabbath has been a constrained, limited thing, I hope that that box is starting to break open and you realise that there are endless possibilities of how you can have Sabbath rest with God. To embrace this, to wrap your arms around it, to make it a part of your life, it only requires one thing of you. And this is the thing that actually keeps many people from actually engaging Sabbath. It requires of you to make it holy, to let it be a set apart day, a day that is different from all the other days, surrendering it to be one where God is the focus instead of everything else. Surrendering it as one where you don't keep trying to do all the things that you usually do in the way that you usually do them. But you let God teach you a better way. And I actually guarantee you it will start to affect how you engage all the other six days in your week. It's being intentional to carve out a day for you and your family for stopping resting, delighting and worshipping with Jesus. It doesn't require being legalistic, but it does require asking this hard question. Does this activity that we're doing line up with stopping, resting, delighting and worshipping? Does our activities and what we spend our time on and our mental energy and our emotional energy on on this day line up with God's heart for Sabbath? This is going to mean you might disappoint some people. But I would rather disappoint people than ignore God. At each stage of my life, um, Sabbath has looked different in different seasons. So I'm so thankful that God actually taught me this in my singleness uh, when I actually had a far greater abundance of time. I didn't think I had a far greater abundance of time, but now, you know, 
You're like, oh, yes, I did. <laughs> um, and so it was wonderful because it was an exploration of what does delight look like for me. I'm in a, in a culture uh, in another country uh, with a lot of air pollution. So going outside is not always great. There's not always beautiful nature nearby like we have here. Um, uh, when I go outside, I have to use the, the other language and that's really tiring and stressful for me. Well, but I don't just want to be stuck in my home all day. What does it look like to delight? And God just took me on a journey of learning what could that look like. So as I said, it firstly involved not checking my work emails for a certain period. Starting to realise, hang on, what can I do to prepare to enjoy the day? So the night before, I'm going to do all the dishes, wash all the dishes up, so that when I wake up, there's no task that has to be done. And sometimes I would wake up early and just enjoy that quiet space where no one else is around. You feel like you're the only person awake in the entire world. You know that feeling? And sometimes I'd have a sleep in. Sometimes I'd, I'd make myself a lovely cooked breakfast. Or sometimes I'd go out to a coffee shop and sit and have a nice coffee, read a book, maybe read my Bible. Maybe I'd have a great conversation with a friend either on Skype or in person. Um, sometimes I, I would have a day um, that I just needed to be a bit more introverted because I'd had a week that was just so full of people stuff that I just needed to not have to engage people so much. I, I'd rearrange my furniture in my house because that brought me joy. <laughs> Maybe by listening to, while listening to music, um, worship music. Sometimes I would go and enjoy a really fun thing and sometimes I would cry because the week might have been so emotional, so filled with emotion, and I hadn't even had a chance yet to really process it. And yet, even in that crying, there was joy, because God was doing his work in me. So as I did all this, as I carved out this time, I found that the rest of my time was expanded. See, we think that we're taking away a 24-hour period, you know, like where we've got one-seventh less of the week to get all that we need to get done. But what we find is as we take a, set apart this day, keep it holy, have a Sabbath with God, somehow the rest of the time expands. My capacity for the rest of the week transformed. My emotional capacity, my spiritual life, my physical life, my mental life, they all improved. I was all able to give so much more in the other six days because of taking that day. And furthermore, I felt more and more capable to discern what was a good and worthwhile um, things to spend my time on in those other six days because I had this as my anchor point. I learnt to not just keep having the time wasters in my life. And then I had kids. And I'm going to be honest, um, my son is two and a half, and I've spent the last two and a half years trying to relearn what could Sabbath rest look like. <laughs> when you don't get to have a sleep in and you're sleep deprived and you've got a tantruming toddler, which is not a place of delight for my heart. So I'm not perfect at it, but I've found, again, still having that break of, because I still work as well, having that break of work emails, I'm not trying to do that. Uh, I've seen, okay, what can it look like for me to delight in my kids? So as they're playing, instead of getting out my phone and trying to get another job task done, like do the online shopping or just check out that thing I'm trying to look up or whatever, putting that phone aside to fully be present 
to what is going on for them, what they are delighting in and what I can delight in in them. Sometimes it looks like just going, okay, honey, <laughs> we don't have capacity for anything else, but once the kids go to bed, let's watch Lego Masters and not do any other work. The dishes can stay there. <laughs> We're just going to have some time together. Now, I'm not perfect at it. Some Sabbaths are better than others, are more restful than others, but it's not about success or failure. It's about responding to the invitation of God to separate this day from the rest and let him mould and form me as I rest and trust in him. I've been dwelling a lot lately on Psalm 91 and these first two verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Practicing Sabbath means I learn what it is to dwell in his shelter. So when the hard times come, I can easily find my refuge under his wings. Eugene Peterson says this, Sabbath is not primarily about us or how it benefits us, although it does. It's about God and how God forms us. I don't see any way out of it. If we're going to live appropriately in the creation, we must keep the Sabbath. So normally, after I do a sermon, I get people to respond. I want people to actually not just hear something and then go away and go, oh, that was a good sermon, or maybe you go away and go, mm, that was not a very good sermon. Steve, don't invite her back again. That's okay. You can all have your opinion. But instead of responding as an outward thing, this is an inward decision. And so I want to invite you to just have some time of quiet with God. To ask God two questions. What do you want to highlight to me? Maybe it was a verse, maybe it was a concept, maybe it was a picture. What do you want to highlight to me? And then with God decide what are you going to do about that? So just take a moment, be quiet in your own heart and just sit with him. And in a minute or two, I'll bring us back.